to episode 100 of the Mainline Podcast. It is finally game week for your Oklahoma Sooners. Your podcast hosts today are myself, Adam Jacquez, or Tyler Burton, or Corbin Polson. Guys, the depth chart is out, so I had to give a little nod there, but how are we feeling tonight? I'm good, guys. Good to see you. Uh, feels like it's been an eternity since the morning after Bedlam last year when OU football was turned upside down, but here we are, fast forward nine months later. I have no idea what to expect from Team 128, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to cover and talk about, and we're, I'm excited to get things going on Saturday at 2.30. You know, guys, I'm pumped, obviously, for this OU season, but football's back. I was excited about UConn, Utah State last weekend, you know, and now we have Oklahoma State with a big matchup on uh, Thursday night against Central Michigan. We've got Pitt, West Virginia, and then just a stacked slate of uh, games all weekend long. I'm excited. Yeah, Thursday Adam, and Friday games are, are pretty mm-hmm, nice. Yes. Um, so we'll get a nice appetizer. I'm trying to get uh, to the TCU-CU game. We'll see. All right. Mm-hmm. Nice. There you go. That'll yeah. be a lot of fun. Uh, guys, two orders of business before we get things uh, started here. Number one, how bad do you guys feel for Nebraska fans after Saturday? <laughs> Especially ones that made the trip over there, paid thousands of dollars. Message boards for, for the Cornhuskers were phenomenal. How bad do you guys feel for Nebraska? I mean, we shouldn't necessarily be looking down on a coach choosing to do an onside kick when you have the entire, you know, momentum behind you. So I don't know if we can say much, um, but man, what a ter- what a terrible call. I mean, you have all the momentum in the world and that onside kick, you felt it from thousands of miles away. That game was going to Northwestern right after that. I feel bad for Casey Thompson. It just seems like he deserves so much better mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. his coach just didn't help him out. Um so I don't know, maybe it's an even year Northwestern who is traditionally very good in those even years and maybe they take the Big Ten West, but we'll see. There's still a lot left to the season and story to be written here. It kind of feels like every, almost every single one of Nebraska's losses over the last couple of years, there's always a defining moment within the game itself where you're just kind of scratching your head thinking, what the hell is Scott Frost doing, the, the decision-making process? So um, if he wasn't on the hot seat already, that seat's a whole lot warmer. Um, I'm not even sure North Dakota is a, is a guarantee this weekend, especially coming off of jet lag returning from Ireland. Um, but then you got OU in week three, so it's not going to get easier for Nebraska anytime soon. And guys, one last thing here, and I say this with all due respect in the world, who's on more happy pills right now, Lee Corso or Desmond Howard? I'd say Desmond. Michigan, Pitt. A&M. Texas A&M. And Baylor. And Baylor. <laughs> the the best tweet I've seen of it is when you play NCAA football for like 10 years and the system starts to glitch and like all these unknown teams begin to like be top, ranked in the top five. That was the best best tweet I saw about it. I just can't believe we're at a point where you've got pro- arguably what the four biggest talking heads in the sport outside of Joel Clad, Josh Pate will throw him in there. there. There's no way that he truly deep down believes what he was actually saying during that segment. It's just... I don't know, just kind of more of the same thing that we see in the world of media right now where you're just saying whatever you can to get the exact reaction he's getting right now. We're talking about it three days later. I have so little interest in watching college game day because of things like that. So, like, I I just don't even tune in anymore. I feel like this is a new low for game day, though. Mm -hmm. Like like that, it, it almost was like, okay, we need somebody to step up and say something extremely controversial, and Desmond drew the short straw. That's the only explanation I've got. Uh, 
I'm, I'm going to take a step further. I mean, I, I know that he is, you know, the godfather of college football. He's the, you know, the backbone of that show. You know, when you think of college game day, you think of college football Saturday mornings, 8 a.m., you know, you think of Lee Corso, and it's just kind of sad to see, you know, kind of the downhill um, spiral that he's taken. And it's we'll, – we'll see if it's a little bit better. Obviously, he's going to be on site in Columbus with the rest of the game day crew this weekend. But, I mean, I, I – I don't know. I feel like I'm watching what's happening in the White House, and that's about as far as I want to go talking about that. So, <laughs> Adam, well, let's get political. The, yeah, yeah. On the uh, on the flip side, uh, there are some people that are on the upswing, and that's us here at the Mainline Podcast. As we mentioned in the intro, there it is, episode 100, which is absolutely incredible. Um, it, most podcasts don't make it past like episode two, for example. Uh, very, very few make it to episode 100. And here we are. This is our what third football season, I guess, that we've been doing this. Uh, 100 episodes in, and it's kind of crazy to think about. So I thought it would be good to kind of reflect. And for maybe those, uh, we've had a lot of people join us along the way in the journey mm-hmm. that maybe don't know why this is a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, how we got to know each other, what the name even means. So I thought it'd be good just to briefly reflect on that. And I think there's no better place to start with than the founder himself, which is Tyler Burton. So Tyler, give us some background on why you decided to start this podcast. You know, I think the best place to start on this, guys, uh, I get asked, you know, a handful of times, you know, not just what the name means, but also, you know, kind of if you read our Twitter bio, it's, you know, three guys that used to work with athletics. So just kind of our audience has definitely grown over the last couple of years, especially within the last six to eight months. We've gotten closer to football season. So just a little bit about ourselves. Um, you know, again, my name's Tyler Burton, Adam Jacquez, Corbin Polson. We're all, you know, not just diehard OU fans, a couple of OU grads. All three of us actually, you know, met during our time working for OU Athletics. Adam and I within the OU Athletics ticket office whenever we worked um, by IMG Learfield, who was contracted out by OU to handle their ticketing needs and services. And then obviously Corbin on the on the Sooner Club side, um, handling donations and, you know, kind of. Uh, leading the efforts on the charge of, as with regards to ticketing on that side of things. So, no, you know, guys, I didn't really know what um, podcasting was, to, to be quite honest, until I got to OU. And, you know, once you start working uh, in college athletics, you're always, you know, tr- keeping a close eye on what the media is saying, what some of the people, you know, both inside and outside of the program are talking about. So my first actual, um, you know, experience with the podcast, I just happened to, um, turn on an episode of the unofficial 41 day first ever time I hadn't even opened the app beforehand um, so listen to you know Carrie Josh and and uh, and Eddie um, that was just kind of a kind of a wake-up call to me with the world of podcasting and I thought you know what we're we're a part of this each and every day you know we're deep within the walls uh, of OU athletics and you know Adam you and I I don't know how many times you me Connor you know how many times at, at the lunch table you know we spent you know just uh, you know, just talking about OU athletics, particularly OU football, our fandom thoughts on the season, what's going on inside and outside of the athletic department. And so we just thought, you know, what the hell? We'll just kind of start this thing up one day. And Adam, I can still remember the three of us sitting around my kitchen table with my cell phone in the very middle, uh, extremely high tech back then, recording the first ever episode, and then just kind of took off from there um, and uh, came up with a pretty good name for the podcast. And Adam, tell us about that. Well, first we got to give a, a name to the precursor of the podcast, which mm. Tyler did an episode solo by himself. There it is, Jock of all trades. Um, <laughs> I guess fortunately we decided to. Uh, to I didn't know about that. That's good. I did a search infringement. I couldn't find anything out on the interwebs. Maybe I didn't search hard enough. Maybe it's oh, it's there. been deleted. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the name, the main line, uh, was actually, I think something that I contributed very early on. We were trying to figure out like, what, like what in the world do we call this particular podcast? And the, the reason behind that name is simply that we both were at the OU ticket office. That's kind of the front door, the front porch of the entire athletic program. And that's the phone number that pretty much everybody calls for anything, whether it's ticket related or not. Um, so we took a lot of phone calls, uh, logged into that main line from just random fans asking for things like scheduled posters and what time is the game? What channel is it on? Things that can be easily Googled, but, uh, can we, we change the pregame music? Can we move the <laughs> yeah, kick? Can I talk yeah. to Mike Stoops? Yeah. I, need my, I need my Sooner Club decal on my car. <laughs> yeah. yeah why it's it February, but I need my chair backs ordered before the first game. Can we go ahead and yeah. check that so, real quick? So all the crazy like phone calls that fans would, would, uh, you know, go to the university, we would have to pick up the phone and answer those. And, um, there were some good aspects of that. We got to, you know, have some great relationships with with fans out there. But on the same hand, you got all the crazy things that people would think of too. So uh, we always loved being logged in uh, to that main line. And so that's where the name yeah. of the podcast comes from. Well, I mean, sometimes you <laughs> make some money there. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, but that's where the name comes from. It was originally just Tyler and I for the first, I think, seventeen episodes. We made it through the very first football season, the twenty twenty football season. And then I think episode 18, Corbin jumped on board. Mm-hmm. Guys, it's crazy that I, I don't even feel like I was on that early. I feel like you guys were pretty well established when you uh, invited me as a guest uh, speaker that first time around. I remember getting a text from Tyler, I think, and I was like, I don't know what the hell I have to offer, but like, sure, I'll hop on. Like, I love talking to you sports. And I feel like that's pretty much the motto we've tried to keep up with this whole time we're not here to be smarter i I guarantee none of us can raise our hand and say we're an expert in understanding ou football understanding college football anything like that we're kind of a common man's podcast we just happen to have a little bit of experience with ou athletics which i do think provides some value but um it's it's kind of crazy looking back because i know tyler and i's history goes back a little bit farther than me and adam i mean tyler we we go back to marketing days um you know in ou athletics when i was in grad school um and it's been cool just in a Maybe I sound like a little bit of an older guy on this one, but it's been cool because Tyler was one of the best interns we had. And I knew whatever he decided to, don't get me wrong, we're going to go at it here in a little bit with bets and everything. This will clear itself out. But I always knew, you know, Tyler um, and there was a few other interns there where I was just really excited about their future. Um, Tyler Paul was one as well. Haley was one. If any of you guys are listening, there's your shout outs you guys deserve. But anything you guys decided to put your hands to, I knew you would be successful because of the way you worked out of no payment job internship with OU Athletics, putting in more hours than I probably should say on a podcast. Um, And so it's been awesome to see, um, you know, you grow in that way. And now for the ability for Adam, I know we got connected, you know, with Sooner Club in the ticket office, throwing leads back and forth every now and then. And to see like now none of us work for OU Athletics and yet we're still talking about it. I think we're all probably pretty happy we don't work for OU <laughs> Athletics anymore. Um, but it's been awesome just to kind of like see some of these connections that you made so many years ago. Um, you know, now obviously just do something out of pure enjoyment that we have. So it was a uh, an honor to be on the podcast and I appreciate you both, uh, you know, letting me have the opportunity. Yeah. And we certainly wouldn't be able to do it without everybody that's listening. Um, you know, we have, I think I looked it up over 20 different countries have downloaded an episode of the mainline podcast, Ooh, um, not even counting uh, Russia. I'm counting those as bots. So prestige uh, worldwide. 
That's right. Yep. Um, you know, the, the thousands of people that are following us on uh, Twitter, if you're not, make sure to check us out there at the mainline pod. And then on YouTube, I think we're, I, I don't have the number in front of me, but something like 40,000 um, mm-hmm. hours watched on YouTube already. Mm-hmm. Some cool stuff, some podcast related stuff, some non-podcast related stuff that you'll want to make sure that you check out. So make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and you can find us just by searching for the mainline podcast. But enough reminiscing about the podcast. Uh, I'm sure that People are ready for game day, and we've got a game this Saturday. It's finally here. UTEP is coming in. Uh, Before we dive into, I guess, what UTEP is, what we can expect from them, we did get a depth chart yesterday, and I think the biggest Mm -hmm. surprise there, I'll just throw it out there, is Jaden Davis, the starting corner opposite of Woody Washington. How do you guys feel about that? I think that was probably definitely the biggest shock to me, um, just because it kind of feels like all off season, especially after spring ball, it kind of felt like you know Woody, he he's that starter, he's got that one side locked down, but it kind of felt like it was a a two way position battle uh, between Kanai Walker and DJ Graham. Uh, and guys, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even factor Jaden Gibson uh, or Jaden Davis in, in into the equation at all with regards to that starting cornerback position. He was also kind of a guy. Um, you know, made, made an impact as a true freshman last year, was kind of forgotten about, didn't get on the field too much. I really didn't expect him to, you know, make his way, you know, onto the 2D, much less be <laughs> be trotting out as the starting quarterback opposite of Woody Washington in week one against UTEP. So, yeah, J- Jane Davis, that, that's a big one for me. Um, we talked about it, you know, all offseason, the, the two Jakes, especially once they got on campus in the summer. Uh, both uh, both them finding their way onto the two deep on the offensive line. You know, that's that's definitely got a lot of people, especially Bill Beanbow, excited about the future of this group. Um, but, yeah, Jaden Davis, you know, starting out at corner. Um, that's – I don't know how I feel about that. Ultimately, you know, you got to trust Jay Valai and Brent Venables. There's nobody that knows defensive football better than that guy. So, um, we'll just kind of wait and see. Go ahead, Adam. Remember in 2019 when he was a true freshman and he came out and I think he was opposite Parnell Motley and he kind of mm-hmm. rotated in with Trey Brown and we thought, whoa, this guy's good. And then he basically followed the same trajectory that former Mike Stoops defensive backs followed, like Jordan Thomas, for example, that were really good as young guys and then slowly, slowly like became worse as their uh, career progressed. And so I wonder if this is kind of just a new fresh start, like it's a new system, the zone coverage scheme should fit uh, him particularly better. My concern is that do we get too far down the road into like game four or five, and then we realize, oh, like maybe mm-hmm. he's not the right fit. Um, I, I certainly want him to succeed, but he hadn't done anything up to this point, really. Well, and guys, I also think it kind of goes back to, and we've heard it from Brent Venables all week long, both talking with Toby Rowland and then again in his uh, press conference today for game week. You know, he's talked about how a depth chart, it's it's constantly evolving. You know, there's position battles even continuing to go on this week. Uh, over the course of the next three to four more practices. And he's also highlighted the fact that there's been a lot of guys, whether it's a Jalen Redmond or a Kanai Walker, uh, guys that have been banged up a little bit over the course of fall camp, haven't gotten as many reps, as many opportunities to uh, you know, prove themselves against some of the other guys that they're battling for playing time for. But uh, it, we'll talk about this over the next couple of weeks. UTEP, Kent State, the, I really don't know how much we're going to learn about this football team over the next couple of weeks. If anything, we'll dive into that here in a second. Some things that we'll be looking for um, that even though the talent discrepancy is going to be a huge gap uh, between OU and both of the next two opponents, there's still going to be a couple things that I'm going to have my eye on in terms of, you know, my excitement level where I think this, this uh, the direction of team 128 is going. Um, but Corbin, was there anything else that kind of caught your eye on this one? Maybe in the running yeah. back room? 
I, I think echoing what Adam mentioned, like how great would it be for a guy like Jaden Davis and seeing what we have seen with cornerbacks in the past of starting off really hot, really impressive and going on a downward trend. How great would it be for this coaching staff to reverse that and from, from game one on? All of us are stunned Jaden Davis is the starting cornerback. How great would it be if like that has actually turned into a positive? It's just because a guy doesn't necessarily, you know, have all great moments. This coaching staff can coach him out of that. Cause we, all we've seen is the opposite up to this point. Um, and so one other thing, I know we've talked about the two Jakes. How about the three Jakes? Jake McCoy getting the or number two spot at the mic position. Do we believe he's a number two? I think he's just cooler looking Brian Mead to me. <laughs> like he's a walk on guys. It's so rare for a walk-on to contribute much to a football team. I think yeah. if push came to shove and they actually needed someone to play a, a bigger role than just the second string guy, I think Deshaun White immediately goes back that mm-hmm. direction. So I'm not buying any stock there. All right. I thought it was also kind of interesting too that Jaron Canick, you know, he kind of he was one of the starters in the spring game at that cheetah position. He's obviously moved inside um, to I believe it's the Mike linebacker position where he's <laughs> listed as the or with Jake McCoy. Uh, but guys, to kind of put a bow on the on the secondary talk, I think that one of the things that's going to be super interesting to follow over the course of this season is when you look at a guy like Jane Davis or look at a guy like uh, Justin Harrington, two guys that were brought in under the previous coaching staff, guys that you know were maybe um, a little underwhelming with some of their performances over the last couple of years. Justin Harrington, of course, battling injury in year one. But if those two guys are able to make an impact and are are productive players for this team all season long, it's going to kind of force you to kind of scratch your head and think, what the hell was the previous staff and Alex Crinch doing on the defensive side of the football? So just uh, just kind of a minor point, but that's definitely something I'm going to be keeping my eye on as well. Any concern that Redmond is not locked up that one spot? I think it kind of goes back hand-in-hand to, hand to the injury. You know, he had the concussion earlier in camp. Um, and like I said, it, it's going to be an evolving depth chart. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he trots out there, um, you know, first snapping in Jutep on Saturday. But if he's healthy, we all know how good of a player he is. He's going to be heavily in the mix uh, over the course of this season. What do you guys think about R. Mason Thomas cracking the uh, the three deep uh, on the depth chart at one of the defensive end positions. I know that there's been one guy that Oklahoma fans, you know, us three especially, have been just kind of waiting and waiting for this guy to come onto the scene, um, you know, with how, how highly of a ranked recruit he was coming out of high school, and that's Clayton Smith. Clayton Smith is nowhere to be found on this depth chart. You've got a true freshman, R. Mason Thomas, listed ahead of Clayton Smith. So can't wait to see what this guy's going to look like. Brent Venables has raved about this kid. Yeah. It's going to be exciting, and I don't think any of us are overly surprised that Clayton Smith may not be on the depth chart. Even if he was, Mm -hmm. would any of us put him even at a two-string based on what we've heard? Probably not. Um, So maybe it's disappointing that he's not an or or in a three spot, but like at this point, does that make that big of a difference? What's tough about Clayton Smith, and we've heard it time and time again, not only from us, but other podcasts, it's not a fit. The, the defense that Venables runs, it's a hard fit for him. So not only is he trying to probably form himself into a fit, but now he has to basically kind of play outside of himself in some sort of way to make that work. And that's very difficult to do. So no real surprise there, but obviously seeing a guy like Marcus Stripling with an or with our Mason Thomas is actually should be, um, I don't know if that's a knock on Stripling as much as maybe it is a testament to Thomas and what he's done. Yeah. Adam, what do you think about the – or go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
I was just going to ask you, um, you know, running back has been a, a position group that we've talked about a lot this offseason. You know, Eric Gray, Marcus Major, those are the two proven guys. Uh, maybe not as much Marcus Major. I think that this will be his his last chance, maybe his coming out party. We know that there's been a lot of praise for him. Um, J- uh, Javante Barnes is a guy that we've heard a lot of good things about. Um, Tawi Walker coming in at the number three spot on the depth chart, and no Gavin Sawchuk. Uh, to, to round out the depth charges. Any thoughts on the running back position going into UTEP? Tawi Walker is the Jake McCoy of the offense, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not buying stock in that whatsoever. If, I mean, he'll get some mop-up duty carries, just like the walk-ons normally do. Yeah. Um, but you did mention Marcus Major there, and I think that's kind of similar to Jane Davis. It's similar to Deshaun White and probably several other guys uh, around the, this entire football team is that there's some guys that maybe haven't had the careers that they've wanted to at OU, but now they have that new opportunity with a new set of eyes watching them and evaluating them, a new system. Um, it's like a, a new breath of fresh air. And so I'm excited to see which of these guys are going to be able to take that opportunity by the horns. Justin Harrington, another one there that I think people were surprised at him being second as the uh, on the depth chart on the cheetah position. I think that's more situational than actual. He's mm-hmm. worse than Deshaun White necessarily. I wouldn't read too much into that. But it's there's just so many guys like that. And Marcus Major is a key one there. I think people expect some big things from. So I'm excited to see those guys uh, hopefully excel and and kind of reclaim what we thought they could do when they came to OU as, as freshmen. Well, let's dive into the opponent this week. Uh, first and foremost, I, I was traveling on Saturday, didn't have a chance to watch any football, unfortunately. Did you guys get a chance at all to check out anybody UTEP, North Texas, or – I watched the first half, and Brent Venables kind of echoed this in his coach's show last night. The final score of the loss to North Texas, it was 31-13. to 13. That's a little bit deceiving. UTEP has some really good players. Um, they uh, were able to you know, drive the ball quite a bit, but they really weren't able to, to finish a drive necessarily. Uh, they had two receivers that went for over – hundred yards each and mm-hmm. uh, and they were moving the ball they just couldn't finish a drive I think they had one that um, ended in a fourth down inside the 25 20 yard line area they had a couple turnovers but uh, their quarterback Gavin Hardison is a guy that threw for 3,000 yards now that doesn't seem like that crazy um, 3,000 yards last year not in the opener but uh, that's very rare for a program like UTEP so he's probably one of their he might go down as one of their best quarterbacks in UTEP history um, but he's certainly a, a guy that UTEP hasn't had. So when we think of UTEP as a program in 2017, yeah, that was a bad team that came in and, and opened the season in Norman. UTEP now is still, it's just a hard program to recruit to. So it is not the greatest G5 program, but they're at least somewhat respectable. They went to a bowl game last year. There's probably a good chance they go to a bowl game this year. So there's enough there to test this, especially on the defense, in my opinion, to test mm-hmm. OU secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adam, you, you make a really good point. You know, I think that there's a lot of fans that probably didn't get a chance to watch that game, me included. But if you just go ahead and look at the the final score, North Texas 31, UTEP 13, that is very deceiving in terms of how close that game actually was, like you alluded to. You know, UTEP uh, missed a chip shot field goal. Uh, they, I, th- I believe they had fourth and goal on the one-yard line. Center snapped it over the quarterback's head. Uh, and then, of course, uh, a UTEP player dropped a wide-open touchdown pass. Wasn't anybody even remotely close to him. Should have been an easy seven points. So there, there's, uh, I mean, there's 17 points right there uh, in a, in a 31 to 13 loss. So um, the score is not as indicative of what this game should have been for the Miners on on uh, this past Saturday. But no, uh, Adam, 
Uh, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. When UTEP has the football, what this is going to look like for the Oklahoma defense. And for UTEP, it all starts with the quarterback position. Like you said, Gavin, Gavin Hardison, 293 yards and one touchdown a week ago. Th- had to throw the ball 48 times to do so against North Texas on Saturday. This guy's got a really good arm. He's got a couple of solid weapons to throw the ball to. So I think that this should be a nice opening test for Jay Valai and Brandon Hall's groups in that OU secondary. Their best player, it guy jumps off on film. I, I don't care that he is at UTEP. He's a junior college guy, and that is a redshirt sophomore slot receiver Tyron Smith, 5'70", 170-pound speedster. They like to do a lot of things with him, both on the deep ball and getting him the ball in the backfield on the jet sweeps. Um, and uh, if you go back and watch some of the highlights, he definitely showed his big play potential against the Mean Green on Saturday with over 120 yards and a touchdown. But guys, I feel like we're going to be saying this over the next couple of weeks. This is going to be a huge mismatch on Saturday for for Oklahoma. Oklahoma's defensive front seven should have a field day against UTEP's de- uh, offensive line. UTEP average, I think it was around 3.4, 3.5 yards of carry against North Texas and really struggled in pass protection. So uh, if I'm Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, Marcus Stripling, I'm licking my chops after watching the UTEP film. Uh, watching the UTEP tackles and the way that they played against North Texas over the weekend. Sooners are bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic at every single position on defense. Uh, and Brent Venable's defense should hold this group under 14 points. Yeah, guys, I'll be watching the turnover margin. Uh, if you're this much better than your opposing team, you should win the turnover battle probably about 2-3 to, to 0. I expect Sooners to have zero turnovers. Should be a clean game. Um, but, yeah, I would like to see the ball flip field a bit more than what we've seen in the past i think it got that is one thing that seemed to get better under alex grinch the more that they were around but you would think with venables his multiple styles of defense that should be something especially early on in the season that should confuse quite a bit of the opponents we face probably up until about tcu or so um, before teams really have some tape to go after so that's one thing i'll keep an eye on if the front seven can get home we have spoke all offseason about how the um, the back end, the cornerbacks, and the safeties seem to be the strength of this defense. As you know, not seeing any necessarily game film yet, but but what we know leading into it, that's where the experience is. That's where the depth is. If those guys can get home, you would think that secondary can have a field day with some interceptions. Yeah, I think it's probably a safe bet that uh, UTEP quarterback Gavin Hardison is going to be running for his life for most of the game on Saturday. And uh, Adam, anything on this? On this, for uh, we flip over to the other side of the ball. Let's go to the other side. Same story, different side of the ball. North Texas wrapped up uh, 183 yards on the ground against the Miners on Saturday, and quarterback Austin Ain uh, for the for the Mean Green three for 236 and three touchdowns. So, uh, Dylan Gabriel, this rushing attack, they should have a field day. They should be able to do whatever they want. Jeff Levy, whatever whatever he calls, OU is going to have the advantage at all 11 positions. Uh, just kind of di- taking a deeper dive into the personnel grouping for UTEP. Uh, two best players. Two guys that stood out on film for the Miners on Saturday. Two different levels of the defense. Starts with sophomore safety. Uh, Kobe Hilton had nine tackles on the game against North Texas. And then go down into that linebacking core uh, and senior linebacker Tyrese Knight. Kind of, their, I think, their best overall player on defense. He had 11 total tackles, two and a half which were behind the line of scrimmages. Uh, but Oklahoma's offensive line should be able to push around UTEP. No problem whatsoever. Uh, their defensive line, the interior guys looking at their roster, come in around 285, 290 pounds. And then, guys, the edge players on the defensive line for the Miners on Saturday, 248 and 250. So if you're Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris, 
I know those guys are going to be a little bit quicker than you. You should have your way with them on Saturday, both in run blocking and in pass protection. So especially with the tempo Jeff Levy likes to play with, I expect Eric Gray and Marcus Major to have massive days for OU on Saturday, and they should be able to gash the Miners' <laughs> defense all day long uh, in what should be a good starting performance for this OU rushing attack. Yeah, the line play is something I'll be watching closely. I just, just want to see, you know, hey, how do they measure up compared to the things we've heard out of preseason camp? Um, you know, how how well-oiled of a machine is that offensive line at this point? I don't want to wait for OU Texas. I, that's been the benchmark a lot of years is, oh, this line will just get it figured out by OU Texas. I don't want that anymore. I want to be ready from day one because uh, we can't afford to, to slip up before that game. But also another thing I'll be looking at is the tempo. You know, we saw this team run pretty fast in the spring practice. I, or in the spring game, I'd like to see how fast are they running in game one and how organized do they look in that process. So um, I think that'll show how well they're grasping the Jeff Levy offense, and especially Dylan Gabriel. We have really high expectations for him. How well is he running that machine? I think yeah. you're going to be able to go extremely fast at him because I think this offense is going to be very vanilla over the first couple of weeks against Utah. Most likely. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think that the level of physicality on the line of scrimmage from both the offense and defensive side of the football, that's going to be one thing I'm watching. And then Corbin throwing this over to you because the talent level, the, the talent discrepancy is such a huge gap between these two uh, football teams. Really, the only thing else I'm going to be looking for on the defensive side of the ball for OU is tackle, tackle, tackle. Are these guys in good possession to make plays? Are they gang tackling? Are they swarming to the football? Uh, and then also, how many times have we seen over the last five, six years, both with Alex Grinch and with Mike Stoops, assignments blown, coverages blown, guys running free downfield? Um, let's see if uh, if OU can get off to a good start on Saturday, being assignment sound, covering their guys, uh, and making plays when the ball's in their area. Yeah, I'm going to echo what you guys mentioned on the offensive side of the ball. Run the damn ball. I mean, if if UNT can rack up 163 yards uh, on the ground against UTEP, you got to think OU needs to be looking at 250, 275. Let's keep let's keep Dylan upright. Have him a clean jersey. Doesn't even need washed for next week. Like, let's just get in, get out, do our business. I will be very curious, though, because you're implementing a new system. I know that Dylan Gabriel ha- is going to have to have time as much as he knows the system. It's still different than playing in a game, and it's been a hot minute since he's kind of played within the system. So what's the score where it's like, okay, time to pull the starters? Or do you try to maximize what you can as far as getting them in-game reps, knowing that in just a couple weeks here, the atmosphere in Lincoln, bigger, faster, stronger athletes. I know what they did in, in Dublin but they did the same thing last year, losing to Illinois to start the season, and yet they came to Norman and probably should have won that game. Um, so I'll be very curious to see over these next couple of weeks if it is a blowout. How big of a blowout does it need to be to pull those ones, or will Jeff Levy and Co. keep those guys in to get as many game reps as possible, knowing this is new to most of them? I think if there's one thing that we know uh, after watching Jeff Levy offense over the last couple of years, the the starters might get pulled from the game, but the offensive philosophy is not going to change whatsoever. They're still going to be going fast, going up tempo, just plugging and play with your second and third string guys trying to score. So um, I, I think it's probably the same situation where, you know, starters probably play three quarters, um, then get your guys in there for some added depth and experience in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, keep everybody healthy, run the damn ball, get out of here with the win, get it, keep everybody healthy and let's move forward to, uh, Kent state. Is that, I, I know we kind of had this mentioned as the number one thing you guys are looking to see overall on Saturday. Is that kind of where you guys are going with those two points or do you have something extra that you're wanting to add there? Run the ball turnovers. There you go. 
I really just don't know what else you, you can do just because, uh, like I said, across the board, all 22 positions, OU can play their C game and still get out of here, no problem. So um, just being assignment sound, you know, technique-wise, you know, fundamentally sound and, you know, no boneheaded plays. Don't give up a long touchdown. Don't have a busting coverage. So just play yeah. good Oklahoma football and, you know, take it to him on the line of scrimmage. So that's kind of along the lines of the number one thing I want to see. And so this is for my Arrested Development fans out there. If you've seen that particular show, Tobias Funke once said, there's a new daddy in town, a disciplined daddy. And that disciplined daddy is Brent Venables. I know. Did we just come up with a good t-shirt idea? That's all we, I'm saying. We, we may have. It's trademarked by Arrested Development probably. <laughs> so if you don't get that reference, it will make no sense to you. But that is one thing that Brent has preached is that we will play with discipline. We'll play with uncommon effort. Um, you know, it's the, the details, the fundamentals. And so I want to see those. What do those details look like on Saturday? Can we avoid penalties? Can we avoid busts in coverage? Can we see guys flowing to the ball and gang tackles happening? Uh, can we see the second string come in and execute, you know, in the third and fourth quarters, maybe preserve a shutout or preserve, you know, 20 points from going on the board, whatever it might be that we saw those teams in years past, even against teams like Tulane, for example, in last year's opener, just hang around and make things nervous. I want to see the door just slam shut on UTEP. And a lot of that is in the details and in the discipline of this team. Adam, I think you make a really good point. You know, I think if there's one thing that Oklahoma has failed to do, which obviously there's a lot of things Oklahoma's failed to do over the last couple of years, when you look at the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, whenever there's a Mercer or a Coastal Carolina or, uh, you know, Texas School for the Deaf, anytime that there's a, anytime that there's a lower tier program on the schedule for those blue blood programs, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, do what you're supposed to do. Don't play down to their level like we saw against Tulane and so many times in the past. Go out there, do your job, kick the shit out of them, get up by 50, and then let's go home. Don't, don't, uh, you know, turn the football over. Don't give this team a chance to hang around uh, because that's when uh, that's when it can kind of come back and bite you. And Oklahoma should take care of business, no problem, on Saturday. So a few weeks ago, we went through our national preview predictions of all different conferences, who we think is going to make the playoffs, who we think is going to be the national champion. Uh, but we saved it for the week of you know the first game before we wanted to go through what we expect of this OU team record-wise. So um, let's start with uh, Corbin here. Give us your record for this team, and if you have OU losing, who you have them losing to. Yeah, looking at just the regular season, guys, I've got 10-2. and two. Um, I've got one of those losses to Texas. I, I psych myself up thinking Texas is going to win every year, just kind of like level my expectations. Um it just feels like one of those years where regardless of how good or not good Texas is, it, we've won three in a row. Is this just one of those strange ones where they, they, they get one um, that's, that happens in rivalries. I don't know who the second loss is to. You could say it's to a TCU. You could say it to it's, it's a K state. Maybe it's even Baylor comes to Norman and, you know, pulls off a, a, a big upset for them on the road. I don't know where it comes, but I can't believe that this team is an 11 and one team. I'm not there. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong because if they're an 11-1 team going into the conference championship game, this team has a chance to play in the playoff. Um, but there's a second loss in there somewhere. I'm just not quite sure where it comes from. Tyler? I think because of the fact that there is there's so much unknown within this conference, and you've heard a lot of national guys included talk about the Big 12, it kind of feels like this is the most wide-open conference race where there's probably four to five teams that you can make a realistic case for why they have a chance to win it. Um, 
I, I could see this this team going ten and two. I could also see you know eight and four just by looking at some some of the teams and where this game uh, where the games are. Stuart Mandel schedule. Is that you? No, not not quite there yet. I'm <laughs> I'm definitely not going eight and four, but. Um, I think that ultimately this team does get out to a 2-0 start, and I talked about it on the podcast. That four-game stretch starting on September 17th at Nebraska, K-State, at TCU, Texas. I just don't see how Oklahoma makes it through that four-game stretch unscathed. So I've actually got them falling at TCU. I think that that's going to be a tough game, ultimately coming off of the high of winning on the road in Nebraska. You come back home. Ultimately, the you know that that's going to be a big game, big time crowd in Norman for Kansas State and Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn. I think OU takes care of business against K State. Then you've got kind of a trap game that I've got the uh, the trip down to Fort Worth. It's sandwiched right there in between K State and Cotton Bowl against Texas. So um, we, I think the TCU. I'm going to chalk that up to a loss. And then I've got Oklahoma winning against Texas, beating Kansas. Uh, beating Iowa State, and then I think the second loss in what's going to be a 10-2 regular season, I think it comes at home to Baylor. And then I've got Oklahoma winning the rest of the regular season, matching up with Baylor again in the Big 12 championship, and I've got OU avenging that loss from earlier in the regular season to the Bears to win the Big 12. So I've got them going 10-2 and and winning the Big 12 with losses at TCU and at home to Baylor. Corbin, do you also have OU winning the conference, or have you not given that a thought? You do? Okay. Yep. So it sounds like Sugar Bowl, most likely scenario in those uh, predictions. I look at this team, and I look back to last year, a team that went 11-2, and two, and by you know most predictions, disappointed across the board. But yet that team went 11-2. and two. And now I look at this year's team, and almost across the board, offensively, you know, we expect the offensive line to be better just by nature of strength and conditioning by having some better players in there. The wide receivers were pretty bad last year. They can't get much worse. Um, they'll most likely be better. Running backs, you lose a guy in Kennedy Brooks who is really productive, but at the same time, running back is, whether it's one guy or collectively, it's it's easy to find production there. Quarterbacks, it's a little bit apples to oranges, and I think a lot of people project and say, well, Caleb Williams will be better than Dylan Gabriel this year. That That is most likely going to be true. But Dylan Gabriel will do better than what Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler combined for last year. So offensively, you look across the board and say they, they'll probably be better. Defensively, on the defensive backs, like those look to be better. We're finally going to get the best guys out on the field. The front seven is where you have your biggest concerns. Um, but I think there's there's dudes there. You're going to reload. So I'm, I'm looking across the board and I'm thinking, man, this team looks better in so many different position groups. We know culturally they're going to be better. We know strength-wise they're going to be better. Their discipline uh, and attention to detail is going to be significantly better. The schedule lines up so well. Your toughest opponents come to Norman. And so for that reason, I think OU can go 11-1. and one. I, I can't get to 12-0. I think that's too optimistic. I think that's too much crimson-colored glasses. And I know I have a lot of crimson-colored glasses on for 11-1. and one. But I, I just I look at the national media, and they're so down on OU. I think that gives OU fans too much room to say, well, I can still be above what national media you know, perceives and still be considered a really good OU fan, but not have to go all the way out to 11-1 or 12-0 like we might do in most years. And so if I'm going to pick one loss, that's actually really tough for me to do because I look up and down the schedule and I say there's, there's not too many tough teams that OU has to play on the road. And so I actually have OU losing to Texas for a lot of the same reasons that you have, Corbin. It happened in 2013. It happened in 2015. Uh, for, you know, that game just doesn't make sense. There are so many reasons that OU should have blown Texas out over the last 10 years, and it just hasn't happened. It's always been close. 
there's been times where Texas has won and I can't explain why it happens. It just does. And so I don't like Texas. I think Texas is a six and six team, but we can sit here every year and say, this is the year he's going to blow them out. And it just doesn't happen because that game is so different for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. Are you guys in agreement with a lot of the media, both locally and nationally, that this is an easy schedule? Because I'm not quite there yet. I don't the see Big this as being is, just a... Well, I was just going to say, I don't see this as being a super favorable schedule. You know, uh, Gabe Eichert on, on the show with uh, Caleb Kelly and Teddy last night said that this might be the most favorable schedule in all of college football. I'm not quite there yet. Yes, you get the, you know, the tough teams at home. You get K-State. You get Baylor. You get OSU and Norman. But let's not forget Nebraska in Lincoln, Fort Worth, Ames, Morgantown, Texas Tech, and Lubbock. I mean, oh, he's going to be way more talented than those teams, but you're also catching Iowa State that's got a pretty good uh, hotshot up-and-coming quarterback. You get them later in the year on the road. Texas Tech's no easy place to play. I don't think this is as easy as, of a schedule as what a lot of people make it out to be. So you, you'd rather play at K-State, at Oklahoma State, at Baylor? No. No, but I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's as simple as saying that okay, because you get those three teams at home, the rest of the games are a shoe in. It's still a pain in the ass to go to Lubbock. It's still tough going to, uh, to Ames. It's still tough going to Morgantown, even though West Virginia's ever beaten OU. Um, I, I think that there's some sneaky trap games in this one, and especially I almost wanted to pick it, Adam. I know that OU's never lost to West Virginia, but going to Morgantown, sandwiched in between Baylor and Bedlam. That's gonna be a tough. Yeah. That's gonna be a tough sell in, in mid November. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But like, if you're comparing it to the alternative of like, oh, I have to go on the road to Waco and at Stillwater and at Manhattan, and this year, like, you got a pretty good draw, and there's no like long two or three week periods away from home. You have the back to back at TCU and at Texas uh, in the mm-hmm. Cotton Bowl, but you have great balance across the board for the most part. So. I mean, there, there's no easy game in the Big 12 anymore. Even Kansas is starting to get tougher, but I think it's about as good of a draw as you could ask for. So I'm I'm guessing, based off your guys' record predictions, you think that Texas is the hardest game on the schedule for OU? Or do you think it's just the, because the throw the weirdest game? Okay. It's it's okay. so hard to predict. You just yeah. never know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. there the, the last few times that there have been blowouts, it's when both teams were ranked. Mm-hmm. And you would think it was a close game. And it's blowout. And then you have a, you know, one and two and four Texas team or whatever the record may be. And you think blowout and it's close or we get upset. So it's just one of those. It's a, it's a weird game. And how many times can you win in a row before that little streak pops? And so we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. Nobody likes beating Texas um, more than I do. Totally random here. Is that game more important for Sark or Venables? Sark. Yeah, I would agree. Fair. Good point. Corbin, I know you've been waiting all off season for this moment. <laughs> here we go. Champ here is here. Go. The redemption may, tour starts it. today. We'll see. Even if I, I, I've told you weeks ago, I hope you win so I can hold on to this damn trophy for six months, and you just have to wait for it. That's what I hope. But yeah, guys, let's hop into it uh, as your champion of last year for beers and bets. Uh, definitely want to get this thing started and the right front. What's already sucks though, is there are a few picks that I wanted to take that I see Tyler has, and now I'm questioning it. And so week one is not off to a great start for me because I'm second guessing what I thought were great picks to begin with, but let's get started here. Adam kicking it over to you. What is your number one pick here? Um, for beers and bets. So I guess I should explain what it is. So we yeah. pick five games every single uh, week. 
uh, going off of either first half lines, betting lines, spreads, whatever is available to bet, we will bet it. The good news is, is we, um, you know, if you're honestly wanting a winning record, just fade us all year long. You're going to make some money if we've learned anything. So, you know, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, let's hop into it. Adam, go for it. Yeah, I'm going with my surprise team from the Big Ten that I mentioned a few weeks back, and that is Illinois. They've already played one game. Uh, they beat Wyoming at home 38-6. to Tommy DeVito, the transfer from Syracuse, looked nice. Chase Brown, the all-Big Ten running back, was running all over the place. They're going on the road at Indiana, a team that only won two games all year last year, a team that is in a little bit of a disarray. Uh, so I'm going with uh, the Fighting Illini. They're a three-point underdog. I think they're actually going to win this one outright. And that is a Friday night game. There you go. Uh, I'm going to take the next one here. And one thing I'm very, very disappointed in since last time we spoke was Tyler does not have the Purdue game on his picks. And I, I don't I understand why. I, I don't understand off. why. It's amazing. Uh, you're, you're Big Ten, you know, playing for the championship. Can't even take him in game one. It's amazing. But I'm going you're, to. I'm going okay. to. All right, because Penn State is my surprise team out of the Big Ten. I'm sticking with it. First half, Penn State minus two and a half against Purdue. Oh, it's a big talker for somebody that's Big Ten West champion just got beat by Northwestern in Dublin. So, I, if, you, point, if you didn't hear games, games not on US soil don't count. Okay, fair <laughs> point. Fair point. Well, number one for me, I can't, I can't go against Alabama in Week One. Death taxes. If you want to, if you want to win in gambling, you go with Alabama. So I'm going Alabama minus forty one and a half. I know it's a huge spread. It's the best team in college football. They're going to want to make a statement. They're going to want to do it early and often, go up and down the field as much as possible. So give me the Crimson Tide to cover the 41.5 against Utah State on Saturday. I actually have that game as well, but I'm going the opposite direction here. Uh, maybe Tyler didn't do his, maybe, No, I'm going with Utah State plus 41.5. Um, I know that uh, Alabama is really good. and But if you look at their history from last year, they played two cupcakes early in the season. Southern Miss and Mercer, and neither of those – well, I guess Southern Miss is, is a pretty bad team. So they did beat Southern Miss by more than 42 uh, points, but Mercer, they did not, a uh, FCS team. So I think that Nick Saban will hold off the dogs a little bit, but at the same time, Utah State is not the same type of cupcake program. They're a pretty strong Mountain West team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe they get down big pretty early, but I think they can score some garbage time at least to, to cover that spread. So I've got the Aggies covering the 41 and a half. I'm so glad that this segment is back finally because I love listening to Adam make the case on why a team is going to cover being a six-touchdown underdog. So it, it never gets old. Make uh, it lose by five <laughs> touchdowns. So uh, Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know you're wanting to hop in. It is my turn. Um, so <laughs> I want to take Bama so bad, but Tyler took him, and I'm just struggling with it. Uh, I'm actually going to stay out here in, uh, in, in local territory Give me the Horn Frogs minus 13 and a half against the uh, CU Buffs. Uh, I, I hate hate picking against altitude. That actually does play a factor. It sucks, let me tell you. But I just I can't get behind CU being any good. I watched them last year. I know they took AM to the brink, but it was AM. I just can't see TCU. If TC is if TCU is as good as we think they can be, this is a three to four score game. So give me give me the Horn Frogs minus 13 and a half. I like that pick. That's a sneaky good pick. I'm Damn like, it. I take it back. 
<laughs> Pick number two for me. It's a matchup nightmare for the Yellow Jackets in this one. Clemson going on the road. I know it's at Georgia Tech. Clemson's favored by 22 points in this one. Georgia Tech is a predominantly running offense, but Clemson's defensive line, guys, might just be the best position group in all of college football. Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis, Brian Breesy, and Xavier Thompson should make the Tigers difficult to run against all season long. So Clemson, led by Will Shipley at running back, they're going to do just enough on offense to cover the 22 points uh, in what's going to be a good, uh, good start to the year for Dabo and Clemson. I took that one off my board. I just couldn't do it after Clemson won that game by six points at home last year. Maybe you're right. I got to see it to believe it from Clemson. So I'm going with uh, BYU minus 12 at South Florida. These teams actually did play last year in uh, Provo and uh, BYU won by exactly 12 points. So I'm just banking on the fact that these are two teams heading in opposite directions. BYU is getting better. South Florida is is not, in my opinion, even though they got our old friend Jerry Bohannon from uh, Baylor starting at quarterback. Uh, and BYU is crossing the country for this game. I just think they're a much stronger program. I think they can win by at least two touchdowns. Uh, let's go to Pac-12 country. Um, I think if there's one thing we know, USC is going to put up some points. And if there's another thing we know, that Rice isn't very good. I'm going to take the first half minus 21 for the Trojans over Rice. I I had that on my card, but I had it in the over 62 points mm-hmm. just because, like you said, Lincoln I don't know Riley. if Rice can score enough. Yeah, but it's the only thing that gave me pause. Lincoln's going to put up points in week one. He's going to want to make a splash out there. And Alex Grinch, I don't trust him to give up less than 10. So if you could tell me USC is going to put up 50, Rice can get two scores. So uh, pick number three for me, I'm going down to Louisiana for this one. Sunday night primetime in the New Orleans Superdome. Florida State versus LSU. LSU favored by three points. Florida State already has a game under their belt after a 40-point win over Duquesne in Week 0. But, guys, this is a huge step up in competition. Uh, And if history has taught us anything, it's that no team is safe uh, in uh, New Orleans when the Tigers are playing against them. So we don't know which quarterback is going to be starting for LSU. um, But uh, it's only three points, and I trust Brian Kelly more than Mike Norvell. So give me LSU to cover the three points in week one against the Knowles. My fourth pick, I'm going to Nevada, uh, who is hosting Texas State. Nevada actually did play in week zero. They won at uh, New Mexico State by like 10 or 12 points. These are two not very good teams, but it is a pick em. And Nevada's at home. Uh, our old friend Jay Norvell left the cupboard, uh, the cupboard kind of bare after he uh, ran over to Colorado State. But Texas State is not very good either. Um, Jake Spavadol, I think, is in year three or four and really hasn't gained much ground um, on that. So uh, give me the Wolf Pack to just win that game uh, in Reno. I'm going to take a line that seems too good to be true. Give me the Georgia Bulldogs, minus 17. That line seems big. I think people want... I think Vegas wants people to take Oregon, but I can't trust Bo Nix. Can't do it. Minus 17, Bulldogs. I, Corbin, I stared at that one for a long, long time. It, it's Felt the it's, same way about Ohio State. I know. I, I took him off my card as well. That yep. Both of them right there at that 17 point or 17 and a half number. Uh, but yeah, that, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We'll see if Dan Laney can keep it close against his former boss and Kirby yep. Smart. So uh, next pick for me, uh, I'm staying right here locally. Uh, Central Michigan, 21 and a half point underdog going to Stillwater on Thursday night to open the season up against Oklahoma State. We all remember what happened the last time, last time these two teams squared off in Stillwater. CMU shocked the Cowboys on a last-second Hail Mary. It was controversial. I don't care. I'm laughing. I know Spencer Sanders is back for uh, what could be his final season, and the Cowboys have high expectations for that defensive line. But, guys, however, 
after losing so much NFL talent on defense in addition to a new coordinator, um, I, I think that uh, I think it's going to be a, a little tough for, for the Cowboys starting off. Central Michigan found its answer at quarterback a year ago. Combine that with the most explosive rushing attack, uh, running back coming back. Uh, and Lou Nichols had actually led the uh, led the NCAA in all-purpose yards last year with just over 2,100 combined receiving and rushing. So for that reason, Chippewas are 5-0 and against the spread in their last five games overall. I'll take that trend, and they keep it within three scores uh, against the Cowboys on Thursday night. Fire up, Chips. I like it. My last pick, I am going to Austin. Louisiana Monroe is oh, playing at Texas. And I'm kind of surprised I missed this. Um, I Texas is a 37 and a half point favorite. ULM is is not as bad as they used to be. They're they're showing some signs of improvement. They're not. They're still not a very good um, G5 team. But 37 and a half points feels like a lot for a Texas team that still has a lot of things they need to figure out. Uh, so uh, who knows what their quarterback looks like? Who knows what their offensive line looks like? The defense is still suspect. I just don't. Think we don't know. Can, no depth can, chart. Yeah, no depth chart. So I don't, don't think they completely run away from that one. So uh, I'll take the Warhawks to to cover in Austin. Interesting. Is it, uh, is it really thirty-seven and a half? That's a lot of points. Yeah, that's one of those that seems too good to be true, and I would almost go the other way. But uh, I'm going to go back to this Bama game. Give me Bama minus forty-one and a half. I think Bama is the best team in the country, and it may not be close. So, yeah, roll tide, minus 41 and a half. It's a freaking big line. I hate that it matches you, Tyler. Does it feel good to be on the same side? I don't know. Ask me after the game. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to get a two-game head start on you guys from that one. So we'll have some some early separation one way or the other. Uh, Last pick for me in this one. I can't believe I've got both in-state schools on my car this weekend. Uh, UTEP traveling up to Norman this weekend, 2.30 kickoff on Saturday against the Sooners. Oklahoma favored by 31 and a half points. That line's kind of stayed pretty pretty close to that number over the last couple of weeks. But this is a game where, guys, I I know that you have to throw the performance against against North Texas out the window. Um, It actually might kind of be a small advantage to UTEP, the fact that they've already got a game under their belt. There's going to be a little bit of rust factor with Oklahoma in this one. I know it's a less inferior opponent. Um, that we would hope to see in week one against Oklahoma. But guys, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why I feel this way. I, I think that there's still a lot of people feeling the sting and there's a lot of players within that locker room that are still feeling the sting and the betrayal from you know Lincoln Riley and the debacle that went down nine months ago. Uh, Brent Venables has changed the culture within this program. We're going to see just how much and how fast on Saturday. But I think that these guys want to get the Brent Venables era in Norman off to a really, really good start. I think this team's going to come out and play lights out, and I think OU is going to cover the 31.5 points against UTEP. Hope Tyler, right. what's your score prediction? Uh, I am going to go 55 for Oklahoma, and I'm going to go 13 for UTEP. 55 to 13, OU covers. Stay healthy, please. No injuries. I'm very similar. I've got OU 52 to 14. There you go. Sooners 42, UTEP 10. Comfortable, but not a crazy blowout. That's a cover. I'll take it. (laughs) Right on the line. Yep. Yep, yep. Last thing before we get out of here, ultimately we're all going to be watching the OU game. What's the other major game that weekend in college football, You know, whether it's Oregon, uh, Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State? Same time. Same time. What's what's yeah. the other game that you're going to be like? Okay, I got to check this one out. 
The Saturday schedule is not great, in my opinion. Um, all the good games are at 3.30. Um, Ohio State, I, Notre Dame's will be 6.30 your time. Is yeah. Notre Dame too good to be true? It feels like we do this a lot with Notre Dame. It's like, oh, the Irish. I, oh, the Irish. A see, win against I, the Irish is big. Like, Ohio State handles that comfortably, right? But see, I thought about that last year, you know, with their offense being as good as they is. But then Oregon came to the shoe and kind of took it to them. And I think that Notre Dame's going to have the same blueprint to do that. You know, they've got a good offensive line, good running back, kind of shorten the game a little bit, keep the ball out of C.J. Stroud's hands. So 17 might be too big of a number. It was too big of a number for me to put it, put it on my card mm-hmm. for sure. I'll be interested in Utah, Florida. That's one yeah. that seems like it should be bigger than it is. And Utah, only a three-point favorite when you're the number seven team in the country. Florida's down. Why isn't that line bigger? It seems like people are. Uh, it seems like Vegas may be wanting people to take Utah, thinking Florida, this could be a perfect opportunity for an upset. If Utah loses that game, might be the biggest black of the eye of the year for the Pac-12. You have to yeah. win that game if you're Utah. Yep. I'll give you two appetizer games that are happening at uh, the 11 a.m. slot. Two teams that... Uh, I know Corbin predicted UNC to make the ACC championship game. I predicted NC State to make the ACC championship game. Uh, They're both playing in-state rivals, UNC at App State, and then NC State hosting ECU, teams that have beaten uh, those teams in in past years. So not walkovers, but I think can give a good measuring stick right off the bat of where those ACC programs are as they potentially challenge teams like Miami and Clemson for the ACC crown. And maybe knocking Clemson out in OU's favor in a playoff scenario down the road. So I think those are both very interesting uh, early non-conference games there to keep an eye on. Yeah, cool. that's all I got, guys. I'm glad <laughs> it's uh, it's finally game week, and I can't wait for 2.30 to get here on Saturday. Great. Well, we will be back next week to recap the UTEP game and, of course, look ahead to Kent State. But, again, episode 100, um, just a huge thank you to everyone that's joined us along this journey listening to the podcast, following us on Twitter, on YouTube, wherever it is that you're interacting with us. Uh, We couldn't be more grateful for everyone that's participated there. So uh, without, uh, I guess, with nothing else on the docket for this evening, we'll see everyone again next week on the Mainline Podcast.